pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, with features on Jean-Luc Godard's The Image Book and Aretha Franklin's Amazing Grace, and a special section on the best films of the year, plus reviews of the latest releases. Subscribe today at filmcomment.com. The Film Comment podcast is sponsored by Kino Lorber, presenting Jean-Luc Godard's The Image Book, winner of the first-ever Special Palme d'Or at Cannes, and an official selection of the 56th New York Film Festival. The Image Book hits theaters starting January 25th. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. My name is Nick Rapold. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Film Comment, and this is the second episode of our Sundance podcast series. I am in Park City, where Sundance takes place, and I'm very pleased to be joined by... Eric Hines, curator of Film at Museum of the Moving Image and a Film Comment columnist. And uh, a new addition, you, I mean, you've heard Eric on our first episode, and you kind of know all his tricks. <laughs> but uh, I'm very pleased to be also joined by... I'm Devika Girish. I'm an FC contributor. Yes, and this is actually your first time at Sundance. Yes, very interesting experience so far. A lot yeah. of quick, on-the-feet thinking, so... Yeah. Yeah. A lot of self-defense moves. Yeah, exactly. Getting on yeah. and off buses. <laughs> Clawing my way through snow to make it yeah. to the next screening. They don't make it easy for you. Yep. This is this is the you know, this is where they test you to see if you can be a real critic. <laughs> um so we've all seen more movies today. Mm. Um I don't know if there's anything else we want to mention before we kind of dive into like our film by well, film. Well, I, I feel like we blow. should give the location. I feel like we should let people know that we're crouched down on the floor of the Q line at the library theater because I think it's an incredible scene. And also to forgive the fact that there might be a bit of a din surrounding us, both in the cafe area and in the line that might form around us. Yeah. We like bring you the real on the ground experience <laughs> that's necessarily we <laughs> are literally, so. literally, literally on so. the ground um yeah i mean i could lose my podcasting license for this <laughs> um well, but, well this is but this is i feel like a very sundance thing we're in between screenings at the library true. theater that nick is, this is gorilla is this is so here you we know. are yeah it is thanks you've reassured me i'm a professional <laughs> <laughs> far cry from the rooftop of the of the of the uh, palais, palais and can yeah. yeah, being being uh, yeah overlooked by uh, seagulls. Yes, watching seagulls' weddings going by. No, we're just uh, here on the floor. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I guess things are kind of ramping up going into this first weekend. Um, and what have we seen? Um, I think one thing we saw that we didn't actually talk about in the first episode is Native Son, um, which screened last night as part of the opening night movies, and again this morning. Um, and Devika, I know you just you saw it as well. Yep. And you are a fan of yes. this this film adaptation. Not an unqualified fan, Not an unqualified but fan. a it's, fan. It's fine. Well, can you can you sort of set the scene a little with what, what the movie's about? Yeah. I mean, as the name suggests, it is uh, an adaptation of the Richard Wright book. It is a fairly faithful adaptation of the book, except that it's set in sort of, present time, so modern-day Chicago, and Bigger Thomas is reimagined as a sort of punk kid. Uh, he's played by Ashton Sanders from Moonlight, and his girlfriend is played by Kiki Lane from Beale Street, just, you know, Barry Jenkins' squad. Um, and 
it's directed by Rashid Johnson, who I believe was a is a visual artist. So it has a lot of sort of interesting visual flourishes. Um, and I would, like I said, I th- it's a very faithful adaptation that mostly the changes I would say are fairly cosmetic, except for the last part. Uh, it's sort of built in the same chapters that the book is divided into. So it's fate, uh, fear, and flight. And it's in flight that most of the changes take place. Uh, and it's sort of updated also to the present, I guess, sociopolitical moment. Um, and yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think the complaints that people would have of it would be probably more or less the same complaints that people would have of the book. Uh, it does take some of the more controversial elements of the book out. Um, and I think that could divide people because obviously some people like the book for its like extreme sort of ethical murkiness and others don't. So I thought that the changes, though small, were so specific and very detailed and it, it retains certain qualities of the book, or, such as the book is sort of like a parable and it kind of retains that, but I think it achieves that through through style and through sort of its like visual form and those sorts of like little touches and the way Bigger's sort of punk interest and the fact that he, he listens to punk music, but also he's really into Beethoven and those sorts of contradictions that he holds within himself and, um, you know, the, the white people in the film, Jan and Mary, who feel, who are a source of, I guess, humor in the film because they're a bit caricaturish, but they still feel very real. I mean, I have met people like that, you know, like I went to school with people like that. So there were those like very little touches that felt authentic and thought through that, you know, I I really enjoyed about the film. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, they, it's got a great soundtrack. He's, you know, you know, he's a, he's a real, yeah. real um, audiophile. Uh, I mean, you know, they make a big point of having a, a big, like, motorcycle, like, I guess it's a drone shot scene to to a song by a band called Death, which is, I guess, famous as kind of the <laughs> the black punk band <laughs> that, I, I guess, um, you know, if, if you know one, uh, there was a documentary about them. And uh, there, yeah, there are also there are lots of other like kind of intertextual references in it. The the house, uh, you know, where he works as a chauffeur. Um, they have all sorts of art there, and I think I saw like a Kara Walker like cutout silhouette work on on the walls in there. Um, so they're they're very up to date in their collecting. And I mean, this is a movie I also liked. I I, I really really liked Ashton Sanders. I I mean. He he just had a a presence and a, and a swagger and a complete control of his like space like a star really in, in especially the first half of the film a rock star <laughs> a real like a rock star just this kind of the cool everything everyone's gonna wait to hear what I say um, kind of thing and he moves like a dancer through the yeah. film I mean he's yeah, just he like does, yeah. it, it's as if he's like moving in one motion from the first to the last shot like yeah. I think he just holds it together bodily almost yeah he definitely he does and I felt like in the, in the second half he does kind of adjust it you know especially when he's in his suit for work uh, where he kind of he shrinks a little I think that's also interesting to watch so that was kind of riveting to me, and that kind of made the whole movie a, a kind of the main movement in it is from him kind of commanding the the show in that first half, the furnace <laughs> being the kind of turning point there of this kind of you know uh, terrifying horror movie like scene that 
goes on and on and on. Um, I mean, I don't know. The book's out there, so you can... Yeah, it's... I don't think it needs... This needs to be spoiler-free, <laughs> but I was going to say, just because it follows the book's plot more or less, you know, until the end, and also the book has an air of inevitability to it. I mean, it's like... I remember this, uh, you know, Fanon wrote about the book, and he said something like, it's like a, a woman saying to the doctor, kill me before I kill myself. And so there's like suicidal kind of predictability to, I mean, that's what the book is trying to capture, The you know, when your fate kind of decides your, uh, or your race kind of decides your fate for you. And I was still so riveted, and I think it's because the the soundscape has a large part to play in it, because it's somehow like, it feels that the fil- like the film is constantly mutating because the audio is so unpredictable and you just, and also the way it's filmed and, and it gets really close sometimes and there's kind of these weird angles and and these obfuscations and definitely the the acting, I thought, which feels very, again, very detailed uh, and, and sort of injects this air of, I think, unpredictability and like precarity into the film, even though this is like a very well-known text. Yeah. Um, and the cinematographer is Matthew Labat- Labatik, Labatik, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, so, which is kind of awesome. And yeah, he always has a dance-like approach or just a very um, versatile kinetic command of the camera in many ways. I've seen him shoot like a, like a dumb sort of for-hire soccer biopic, and even then you can see him doing interesting things. Um, and here, yeah, he just, um, I think it's, He's totally in tune with with the actor. Um, and yeah, I also just want to say his cool is totally persuasive. I'm not usually persuaded when someone's trying to be a cool person on film. It doesn't work. You know, it, 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 people can't actually pull it off. He just can be it. But of course, that takes a lot of work. He does it. Um, I mean, so the movement for me was from from that, him seeming like this impervious, imperviously cool figure to just yeah imploding through his his actions but also systemic things um and that i found genuinely disturbing and alarming because of how sudden it it feels um and how violent it is but um and just how yeah. completely you root for him yeah i mean it, he's just you know he's not like the he's not like an endearing character i think necessarily right. because he has that cool detachment but you just root for him because you want to be his friend because he's just yeah he's just cool and (laughs) and I think his coolness is not necessarily communicated through artifacts as much as just his physical presence the way he smirks and the way he walks and the way he looks at people and the way he grimaces everything just I think that just communicates this the sense of like it's turmoiled, but the sense of like actualization he has at the start of the film, which obviously then becomes like almost suffocating by the end. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I guess I'm liking it more than, the more I'm talking about it uh, somehow, but I guess that sometimes happens. <laughs> but let's let's go on to um, another movie, and that can be perhaps American Factory. Right, you saw that this evening. I saw that. Mean? Yes, I know. I saw it this evening. Yeah. yeah. Uh, at the Prospector. The Prospector. Yeah. yeah. Where the screen seems small. Um, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I, I, I was I remember seeing Bisbee 17 in there last year, and it was 
very big screen. Oh yeah. Um, but I think it's just a different aspect ratio. So it that may, is the it may seem small compared to some other things you've seen yeah. in that room. Yeah. So American Factory, what's what's the story behind American Factory in the U.S. documentary competition? U.S. documentary, yeah, yes. U.S. documentary competition is the latest film by Julia Reichert and Steve Bognar. Um, Julia Reichert's been making films for nearly fifty years, and making films with Steve since the '80s. I want to say, you know, as, as Julia said in her introduction, in some ways it feels like a culmination because she's been uh, making films about labor and. Uh, making films from the, decidedly from the left for a long time, um, but also has become, always has been like a, a really remarkable observational filmmaker, like dedicated observational filmmaker, dedicated to sort of long commitments, um, investments in communities of people. <clears throat> for the less major feature they made, uh, at least the one that I know the best is The Line in the House, which played here in 2006. And that was... Um, a long film, but also based on a, a long time spent with uh, um, young children suffering from cancer. And a grueling film, but a gorgeous film. This, this is very different, but um, in some ways it, it visits some of the film, the territory of what she was doing in the 70s, which is films about labor. Um, and uh, this film is shot over several years in Julia and Steve's own Dayton, Ohio. And it's about a, an old General Motors factory that had closed in 2014 that reopened, no, sorry, to close in 2008, I want to say, reopened in 2014 for a Chinese company named Fuyao um, that works in glass, automobile glass in particular, I think. And the miracle of a foreign company coming in and all of a sudden employing unemployed people in a factory town, but then also how that's an uneasy fit and how things develop in ways that you might predict but also don't necessarily want to see play out but they do yeah. so i have no idea what you thought we haven't talked yeah i mean i i it's a movie where it's genuinely like a tragedy yeah. unfolding in slow motion like yeah. you can't watch what the setup is and, and not know where it's gonna go if you've been alive in america <laughs> you know for the past 20 you know whatever um so it's it's kind of hard to watch in that sense um, I guess the way they, the kind of imaginative spin they put on it is that you're really close in terms of knowing what, what the, you know, Chinese workers and managers are mm -hmm. saying and thinking. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it entailed. There, because there, there is a kind of a class divide there yeah. in terms of who's running the show yeah. and who are the workers. Yeah. So, I mean, a big part of it, I guess, is, is kind of flipping the usual script or the usual it's kind of estranging you from from the from the worker management process by adding that other layer to it. So, which you also have to challenge yourself what you think about it because they definitely do lay bare how the Chinese managers regard and talk about the American workers. Uh, you know, there are a lot of scenes in um, a lot of a lot of managerial training sessions where they have like bullet points of you know what American tendencies are yeah. like that they like flattery because they're. You know, and, and they're, that, they're, 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 they're babied as children into yeah. thinking that everything they do is interesting. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that they're really obvious. Yeah, they're really obvious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is, it's, it's weird to watch that because a lot of, one, like, this isn't a problem with the movie. It's just something that you have to grapple with. But a lot of the things you're seeing on either side are stereotypes. Right. Being, like, applied or, or thought through or justified. Um, and I guess it's a point where you really have to trust the filmmaker 
that that's what they saw, you know? Um, like, I was always like, well, you know, if you put a secret camera in like an American managerial pep talk session, it's probably going to sound pretty dumb as well, you know, like, right. or pretty brutal. Or, well, I bet an American company would probably be just as ruthless in like yeah. destroying a union. But that's what's fascinating, though, yeah. is that there are certain American characters who are put in management positions and they adopt a very Chinese or management period right. approach yeah. in terms of um, they, uh, yeah, like they're, they're incredibly, like there's, there's a whole issue of unions and from the very beginning, the company lets it be known they want nothing to do with unions. They'll close the factory if, 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 if the workers unionize and there are like management people who are Americans who are, who are like all of a sudden like, like super anti-union and talking about it as if it's pure evil. And it's like, this is, this is what it means to have that position of power and to be employed in that power. Yeah, no, it is absolutely. And it's kind of chilling to watch it as yeah. well. Um, I mean, also there's, there's like this, I guess, one sort of pivotal, pivotal sequence where I guess a lot of people are converted in that way, um, where they, a bunch of managers are flown to China uh, for orientation sessions and I can only describe it as disorientation sessions because basically there's scenes out of a Zsa Zhang Ke movie. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, you, you've sort of probably seen this before from those movies or elsewhere, but just, you know, propaganda performances where they're singing verses about, about the company, yeah, about the company. Yeah. Um, I don't know what you made of that. Like that was blowing I mean, my mind. Yeah, I mean, it's like a movie inside a movie. Like yeah. that starts, and you're like, I could watch this for hours. Yeah, because it's just, I mean, the, the, and you know, I mean, it's, it's almost too good to be true in terms of documentary footage, but also uncomfortable to watch, which is which makes it, I think, really worthwhile. But the Americans show up and they're wearing like t-shirts and jeans. One of them is a Jaws t-shirt. A Jaws t-shirt, and they're like <laughs> facing off, meeting the company people who are all wearing matching suits and. It's Did really you, wild. The thing I love is the, the Chinese company officials are wearing black jackets, white shirts, no tie. Yeah. So I, I think that's another thing casual. From, the, from the bullet point of American <laughs> tendencies that Americans are casual. So they're they're playing totally. they're playing to that. I think. Yeah. And then and there's another character who or, or subject oh, yeah. who's who's in a, a position of some sort of management who is like aggressively judgmental about American workers, even though he's an American worker. Yeah. It's un, yeah. it's unreal. Yeah. We almost forgot to mention one of the, like, <laughs> uh, you know, again, like most surprising characters to have this kind of access to. But the CEO yeah, of yeah, the company, the chairman, yeah. the chairman, who they refer to as the chairman throughout. <laughs> and it's like, the chairman wants this, the chairman wants that, the chairman would prefer this. And if there's any opposition, it's like, no, you just like, got to do it. You it's know? like fire code. Like he wanted to change something yeah. that was actually to code. Okay. And they're trying to explain to like this is actually legally you can't. Yeah, he wanted to move a fire little fire alarm fire detector alarm and he just yeah, or he I mean the big thing is he wants to move like a garage door. He says it can't face this way. And you know the American manager is like, "Well, we just installed that." And then and he goes, "This will cost $35,000." And, yeah. and the translator is like, "Okay." Yeah, and just watching the confidence with which the chairman and people mm -hmm. working for him work, that's also I have to say kind of frightening just to see them yeah. just go ahead. And yeah. so, yeah, it's, it's a movie I think that kind of gets more wrinkles, the more you, it sort of seems sort of traditional as you're going through it in a way. I also just want to highlight, I thought the camera work was extraordinary. Yeah. What, you know, it's a lot of it's follow along kind yeah. of, or, and, or sort of impromptu like meetings they're seeing 
Um, but it's it's really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, which is also hard to like sustain over such a long period of time. Sure. As well. And it's a group of people who are, who are, who are yeah. doing that. So, yeah. Jillian yeah. Stever, great shooters. Um, Eric Stoll, who shot uh, America, shot it. Jeff oh, Reichert, wow. our, our friend of ours, who's also a producer of the film, shot a lot of footage. So a very strong team of people. Yeah, yeah. Um, one other thing I want to say about the movie is that I think any kind of strike... Oh, I mean, there's a strike. There's, yeah, of there's, course. There's a whole union. Well, not strike. Not a strike. A, you move demonstration. To yeah, um, which creates its own kind of clock toward the end. But I mean, it's interesting to see this movie and the kind of lineage of of you know company union movies. You know, like Barbara Copples, two two big ones. Yeah. You mentioned Harlan yeah. County and American Dreams. No. American Dreams. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then various posturing Michael Moore movies. Um, I think this holds its own. It felt it felt a tad old fashioned in that like robotics was like on the horizon. I don't know. So I felt like maybe that's that's just the particularities of this factory. factory yeah. yeah. But I also like that they kind of keep a focus. They're not like trying to talk about NAFTA or something. You right, know? right, right, right. Um so yeah, it's a hard thing. This is a hard thing to make, I think, a movie sure. about it. Because again, on paper, it sounds like very you know, meat and potatoes, but maybe that's what we need, actually, is some actual reality. <laughs> right, right. Um, well, that know. kind of deep reporting, in a sense, yeah. um, deep commitment to us and yeah. presenting all those different facets, because you do get a lot of the Chinese perspective. You get the chairman's perspective, a lot of it, yeah. which is extraordinary. That, but that, That's one thing where it's like, there is one weird sequence where he's like, oh, I miss when simpler times when I could listen to frogs and crickets. You know, and I was like, ah, this kind of feels like an old executive line, you know, like <laughs> this is like in your company bio video or something. I don't know. Well, well we can end with a put down to the chairman, <laughs> I guess. Seems appropriate. Um, it's a pretty significant pretty, film, though. It, yeah, yeah, I think so. Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment with features on Jean-Luc Godard's The Image Book and Aretha Franklin's Amazing Grace and a special section on the best films of the year, plus reviews of the latest releases. Subscribe today at filmcomment.com. The Film Comment podcast is sponsored by Kino Lorber, presenting Jean-Luc Godard's The Image Book. This provocative collage film won the first special Palme d'Or ever awarded in the history of the Cannes Film Festival. Writing for the New York Times, Manola Dargis called it a dense visual and oral collage that I've seen twice and expect to see several times more. An official selection of the 56th New York Film Festival, the image book opens January 25th at Film Society of Lincoln Center and IFC Center before expanding to select cities. So that was one documentary. And um, very, very recently, we saw another movie which kind of threw me for a loop I guess I sort of understood it would be more fiction than documentary, but really I think it's more of a documentary with, with just staged elements. That movie is The Infiltrators. So I, I haven't thought through my thoughts. I just am kind of writing the thrill. But um, So it's, it's, directed by, um, it's directed by Alex Rivera and his wife, Christina Ibarra. And Alex Rivera made... Sleep Dealer, I think in 2008, uh, which was kind of like this uh, sci-fi, futuristic sci-fi film, also, which also had a lot to do with like immigrant labor and sort of neoliberal futures, I guess. And this film is sort of in the same vein, uh, but it's like, like you said, it has to uh, much more to do with like actual reality, even though I guess the previous film did too. And... So it's telling the story of this activist group. I actually forgot what they're called, like National Youth Dreamers. 
It's something like that. Yeah. Uh, and it, basically, it's a group of undocumented uh, youths who've been trying, who've been basically protesting uh, deportation of uh, quote unquote illegal aliens, and they've been trying to get people freed from the erstwhile Probert County Detention Center in Florida, right? That's where it said? Broward County, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Broward mm-hmm. County, yeah. And so the movie kind of follows the arc of this one man, Claudio Rojas, who is detained at the beginning of the movie. And it tells the story of how a, a, a bunch of kids from that group basically infiltrated this detention center. So they got themselves locked up uh, through some very comical ruses and uh, kind of started a movement on the inside by kind of smuggling certain documents in and getting information out and basically just calling congressmen and trying to stop as many deportations as they could and trying to get people released. So yeah, and and it, it is a lot of it is just just documentary. I'm I don't know this. I'm curious to know if this I'm assuming this was filmed while this operation was on, right? Because uh, there's some moments yeah. where like there's like temporal markers where it seems like they started filming it before uh this was completed. So I'm curious what their involvement was in the whole uh mission. But it it's just a lot of just documentary footage with most of the reenactments are the ones are the scenes that take place inside the detention center because obviously they didn't have cameras there. They do have some interesting uh, cell phone recordings of them interacting with the officers at the center when they're like trying to go in. I agree with you. I thought it would be like way more fiction, possibly because it was in the next category. I, and I just this just fe- does feel more just like a documentary. And I think it it includes fiction just by necessity. I think. Um, yeah. I liked it a lot. I have to say it like maybe is also up my alley. I just like protest films a lot. But I think it's a little bit sloppy in the way that Sleep Dealer also was. But I like that because it has this like DIY feel that feels very in line with what the film is about. And it's, you know, it's it's a, it's a film about a bunch of kids who literally like sit in a room. They're not about able to go to college because they're undocumented. So they sit in a room and they just call congressmen and they like, yeah, they, they're just like mounting this huge plan with minimum resources. And it just seems like very appropriate, this kind of aesthetic. And I liked his last film a lot because, you know, it took on a kind of a very specific genre and gave it a very rooted, a very informed political grounding. And, and it was more radical than most films I've seen on these subjects, even like maybe better made films aesthetically. It, it managed to be like very radical right up to the end. It ended on this high optimistic note that I wouldn't say it didn't play it safe in any way. And I think this film obviously is limited by the fact that it's it's real, but it also takes, I think it takes a genre. I think it's like a heist film basically. And it kind of imagines this whole mission as a heist. And, you know, you have those like typical scenes, like find befriend the guy who works as a, um, in the lobby as a sweeper. And then there's like that exchange of documents. They like drop a set of documents on the floor and a visitor like picks it up and replaces it with another set. Like those like little touches, which feel very familiar to me from the genre. Mm. Um, and I, I think it, it just ends up being very entertaining while also just being again, like, quite bravely radical and also 
it, there's just a lot of like actual information that I didn't know. I didn't know how these detention center centers work. I didn't know how this process is. And it's an incredibly dehumanizing process. It's incredibly terrifying. None of these people have done anything wrong. Most of them are in there because they were seeking asylum or, or you know, running away from some sort of danger. And I, it just tells that story and tells the story of these real people in a way that I found like absolutely riveting, thrilling. And and also, you know, it, it it's not like a... I didn't think it was like manipulative. Like all these people, to me, they just came off as as fun and brave. And I don't know, I, I feel like a movie like this could have gone in another direction where it's sort of uh, just trying to like generate sympathy or, or a lot of conversation or representations of this subject often center on those things, on suffering. And obviously that's an important part of it, but this shows the solidarity and and the fun and the family feeling of activism, you know, like what you can do when you just get together with nothing and you just like, if you just get enough people together to do something, just show up outside of a set of gates, like what you can do. So, yeah, yeah, that's my spiel. <laughs> well, I like your description more than I liked what I saw of the movie. Oh, um, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I won't I won't like pile on it right now, but I, I just yeah, I just it I, is I, rather unsubtle. Yeah, no, I mean, it's not even that. It's just, it's just the, between, like, the reenactments, which had a, you know, as you say, kind of DIY, it it was just, like, very thin (laughs) quality of acting. And one thing I just can't stand is seeing people on laptops in a room on the phone and that that's the substance of the scene, especially when I don't even have the sense, you know, as you're saying, like, where it fits in chronologically, when it happened. Then it all starts feeling, it's like, I, I, it, it all, it was kind of driving me crazy, ping-ponging between that and these very wan-looking, you know, scenes in, in the in the in the detention center. But I, I, I don't need to dwell on it. I, I, I do think it like if you didn't like the first hour, I think it does peter out even more by the end. <laughs> I think it was probably finished recently, oh, or yeah. uh, I mean, there's some really moments at the end which I felt like should have been given more dramatic treatment or there's like quickly moving past them (laughs) so it does have that sense I think I mean I I guess I really wish that it would be better because I liked what I saw a lot but uh, I mean I guess it's just the force of the ideas you know the execution wasn't great but I still found the ideas provocative enough Mm. that I was I was hooked yeah well that just about brings us to the end I don't know if you want to have a speed round of anything you've seen that you just want to... I would just mention the other film I saw today, which is the untitled uh, Amazing Jonathan film, which I had a blast watching. Um, did you see it? I did not. I mean, I know Amazing Jonathan from, like, clips on, like, yeah. Comedy Central and the Ha Network. It's, it's impossible to describe, <laughs> and I think that's a good thing. Like, I mean, uh, it's a film that I think people are going to talk about. I think it's a film that's going to have quite a life beyond this and all I will say is that it's a film that the first third is kind of a portrait of this you know the amazing Jonathan is somebody who was uh, diagnosed with a with a deadly disease and was given a year to live and retired from comedy and within that year or like he's kept living several years after in which case at which point this filmmaker came on board and started filming his life and you have interesting footage of him he's an interesting guy he's a bit you know 
um, elusive, and then things start happening unlike, unlike I've ever seen in a film before. I don't think this sort of unprecedented that there are things that happen in terms of documentary filmmaking that then don't ever get don't ever become part of the film. And this film makes those things part of the film. And it's, it's impossible to get into details without giving it away. There's it sounds something, so mysterious. It's, well, it is mysterious. But, I mean, there's something about it that it's a little inside. It's not made by in an inside baseball way, but there's a way in which, you know, um, there's some cast of characters that develop, that come into it, that are familiar to the documentary world. Mm. So it becomes very self-reflective. And so it's, like, almost unbearably so in moments. But it it has... It has a lot going for it, so hmm. yeah. Intriguing, and, it's, and winds up having not very much to do with the amazing Jonathan, actually, in some ways. Not much. Well, I mean, there's plenty. It's always yeah. about him, but it's about the. Um, in some ways, it's about the circumstances of its making as much as it's about the amazing Jonathan. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm saying. Who is? Have we said he was a comedian magician? Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yes, I mean, I was trying to do speed round here. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> uh, he's a comedian magician um, from. Uh, I think he's around 60 now. So his heyday was in the 80s, early 90s. Yeah. And it was huge in Vegas for a long time. Like yeah. he kind of like stopped becoming like a ha fixture, Comedy Central fixture in the 90s at some point because he became installed in Vegas and had a very long run in Vegas. Oh. A props a props comedian. <laughs> yes. Um, which is sort of what I feel like when I'm recording on a podcast a little bit. Um but uh, tune in tune in next time for our next episode. There's loads more we'll be seeing on the weekend. And we'll also maybe talk a bit about Devika. Maybe you can talk about more your your experiences first Sundance. Sure. I'll do my audio yeah. diary. Yeah, so, <laughs> that's right. And Today I slipped on the ice. And <laughs> it's good. That's good detail. And where will we be located? Who knows? Who knows? That's part of the surprise. On the floor, on a couch, <laughs> in a bed. Who knows? That's right. Um, in a moving car speeding down the <laughs> ice. All this and more will be yours when you listen to the Film Comment Podcast. Thank you both so much. Thank Good night. you. Thanks, everyone. You've been listening to the Film Comment Podcast with music by Greg Einge. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comment is a bi-monthly magazine published by the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comet has featured in-depth features, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomet.com to purchase a print or digital subscription to Film Comet. Or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, or Kindle. <laughs>